Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my next guest, I want to start, as always, by thanking you the listeners for your feedback to my show and to remind and encourage you to send any of your comments, your suggestions for the show or questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That's CEO at RainCanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd definitely appreciate it if you were to rate the show and comment on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever platform you use to listen in as well. You can follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So I just want to say thanks again for the feedback that you provide the Everyday Millionaire team and I. It is sincerely appreciated. My guest today is Janet LePage, and I want to take some time and slow down a little bit and really lay a foundation for who Janet is. And by doing that, I think you're going to quickly understand why I have been looking forward to having her on the show and speaking with her. Now, Janet is described as both forthright and a true force of nature. And what she has done is taken a a really strong ability and love for problem solving and deal making and growing it into a very successful enterprise. And honestly, it now rivals any of the biggest publicly listed real estate businesses. Since 2003, Janet has gone from flipping homes to building an empire. She is the co-founder and CEO of Western Wealth Capital, which is a growth company focused on creating wealth for investors through really well-chosen real estate investments. Since its inception in 2011, Western Wealth Capital's focus and strategy is to identify underperforming properties that are located in emerging markets and then unlock their value for cash flow and growth. Under Janet's leadership, Western Wealth Capital has placed more than $170 million in private equity and acquired 30 multifamily properties. That makes Western Wealth Capital the second largest multifamily owner in Phoenix, and their portfolio is made up of 5,100 rental units with a purchase value of $510 million. In 2016, Western Wealth generated over $43 million in revenue. Now, in 2016, Janet created the We've Got Your Back charity drive. She, amongst you know a whole list of things that she does, is very community focused. This year, the annual initiative provided over 1,300 backpacks to children living on Western Wealth Capital properties to help them start their first day of school on the right foot. 
That was all about We've Got Your Back Charity Drive. Jana was recently named one of business in Vancouver's 40 Under 40 and was awarded the Veuve Clicquot Canadian New Generation Award. And that was about recognizing young female entrepreneurs. She is also a finalist for the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award for 2017. Janet holds a Bachelor of Applied Science in Computing Science and Business Administration along with a Project Management Professional designation. Janet got the deal-making bug pretty early. Her father owned two apartment buildings and the term passive income became an early childhood building block. And at age 25, Janet got herself involved with a real estate coach. She hired a real estate coach. And in 2008, when the market and the economy imploded, most thought you know the real estate sky was falling, so to speak, and LePage, well, she saw the heavens opening up, as they say. Leveraging higher interest and shorter term hard money lenders, Janet's method was to buy a home at cash auction, invest in appliances and some TLC, a little sweat equity, and then sell the properties quickly at a price that was really on par with the unimproved foreclosed properties right next door. The system was scalable and definitely Janet is all about system. She bought and sold 58 homes over two years, all the while working full-time in a BC utility. With a background in computer science, everything seemed black and white. In Janet's world, it was either one or a zero. Even buying houses was done with a clear criteria. As I said earlier, for Janet, it's all about having a system. Ultimately, in 2012, she left her workplace and founded Western Wealth Capital, and since then has only looked forward and looked ahead. Janet's growth outlook is to make Western Wealth a $1 billion company, and she has plans on diversifying outside of the Phoenix market. Aside from the doingness that is required to achieve what she's achieved, to acquire real estate, to build her team, and to run her business, Janet loves to focus on her other passions, and one of which is an interest for supporting and increasing female leadership in her sector. She places an incredibly high value on family and is a wife, a mother, one of four sisters, and certainly a friend to many. I've gotten to know her a little bit over the past few years and so looking forward to this conversation. So without further ado, let's talk to Janet LePage. Good day, Janet. Welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast, and uh, just want to say welcome to the show. Thanks, Patrick. Now, I always like to, uh, you know, aside from the intro and the conversation, you've obviously accomplished a lot of things in uh, your young life because uh, you've certainly still got a lot of great years ahead of you. But tell me about what you're doing. Give me a kind of an elevator pitch because you've got a lot of things going on. What's your, is there an elevator pitch you use for what, you know, when somebody says, hey, Janet, what are you doing these days? <laughs> I, I laugh. It's like elevator pitch. Um, I guess it would depend on what elevator I'm on when I answer what I'm up to. But on the work front, I'll, I'll give the work front elevator pitch. I run a real estate investment company. So we basically buy uh, apartments, uh, buildings, and we're focused down in, in the southern United States. We buy them. Um, we fix them up, we increase the income and, and we operate them and, and we have over 5,000 units and we've acquired that over the last, uh, three and a half years. And to buy that, we use, um, investors, uh, individuals, folks money, and we bring that together for each, uh, building and we manage them and return them cash flows and returns at the time of sale. So that's the basis of where our 
our company runs. Um, we're headquartered right here in, in North Vancouver, British Columbia, but um, the majority of everything that we operate is is just south of the border. So, you know, business aside, Janet, and of course, on your, you know, journey of building your business, I've, you know, certainly had the opportunity to speak with you in the past and we've crossed paths and you've been on our RAIN stage, the Real Estate Investment Network stage. And so, you know, you've developed a system for investing and and that's great. You know, once, once again, as you've achieved some pretty amazing results, as we talked about in the intro, and the whole theme of the everyday millionaire is always about seemingly ordinary people achieving extraordinary results. And although there's nothing ordinary about you, uh, you've achieved some great results, but you are just that person that you weren't born with a you know silver spoon in your mouth. You've, you've built the business that you've built at a young age and achieved some great results just by being, I guess, really focused. And that's what I want to dig into. I want to go back a little bit into Given what you've achieved, you know, give me a little bit of background of how did you even get into the world of real estate investing, for example? You know, it goes back, uh, gosh, I want to say I'm 23 or 24. And um, I bought my first home in Vancouver at 23, which was rare uh, for a lot of people. But I knew that I wanted to be paying off a mortgage. So I borrowed some money from my parents. They didn't lend it to me. They gave us a line of credit uh, for some of that down payment that I had to pay back with the interest that was on it. And as I remember a year later, not really thinking about it, um, we got the house assessment and it had gone up at, you know, a huge amount of money. And I thought, holy smokes, I got to get more of these. And so um, it wasn't until a few years later that, you know, the house had appreciated enough that there was a bit of equity in it. And I went out and I thought, I need to figure out how to, you know, buy something else to to continue to grow it. Because I just couldn't believe that each year this piece of paper had this real estate go up. And I started looking and I got a real estate coach. And I spent a year with that real estate coach. It wasn't an intent to start with that. Um, I read a book. But it just piqued my interest that I wanted to um, know about all facets. You know, as soon as you read about one house, I wanted to learn about apartment buildings. I didn't know that I had this passion for real estate. It just started to come as I learned more. And his job, really, he had one position. He said to me, everything's a deal, Janet. Everything's a deal. But you got to tell me what that deal is. So we would look at all sorts of tax liens, mobile home parks, commercial product, uh, vacant dumps of houses, uh, everything. And he, we would look at it and goes, so how do you make this a deal? And I have to say, I took that as kind of the biggest learning I've had is that everything's a deal. It's just what you pay for it or how you structure it. That's actually what makes it. If you pay more than what you should, well, it's not a deal anymore. And I bought two houses and, uh, you know, put renters in them and they started paying for the mortgages. And I, I had my first experience of what was called cash flow. And then about six or seven months later, the same realtor that both sold us those houses called me and said, Hey, I just flipped in house. I flipped a house at auction. Do you want to do it? And I said, okay. So I went down there and we got on the steps and, um, I had $10,000. That was, that was what you had to put down. And the rest was borrowed on a hard money lender at 18%. And I bought my first home and flipped it 28 days later. And uh, I saw a system there. And so we flipped 58 homes in just over two years. 
um, with the exact same system. And um, it wasn't too long after that that I was able to buy my first multifamily because financing opened up and that was in 2011 and the rest is history. So let's go back a little bit now. The 58, was it 58 <laughs> deals? That's a lot of ground. So that's great. And that and that's wonderful. It gives everybody a little bit of a context for just part of your journey. And so those yeah. 58, were those all U.S. side or was a, a mix of Canada and everything, U.S.? Everything was in Phoenix, Arizona, actually. All, all 58 homes have been in Arizona. And it was right through 2009, 2010, when um, 2008, 08, 09, early uh, 2010, when uh, there was a lot of foreclosures going on, and we were—I just picked up the system. Everything that for what I've done, my strength has always been in replication. You know, I, I say that repeatability um, creates scalability, and I, I live by that. And I, I think that's in so many facets of your life. But what I saw was when we flipped one house, well, we we found another house that looked exactly the same. And all we would do is just small things to it, but the exact same things with every house. And so you were able to buy in bulk and you always use the same paint color and you use the same maintenance person. And, and, and that was something else that I picked up that's been a big part of what I brought forward into Western Wealth Capital and this massive growth that we've had is if you do the same thing really well and you know it cold, you know exactly what a towel bar costs, you're effectively removing the risk from your business because you're removing the uncertainty. And, and that's what we, you know, what, what I learned during flipping those houses. Every time I tried to flip something a little different, it took longer. I spent more than I expected. I didn't go according to plan, let's say. And um, that's kind of what came from that. So lots of process, lots of systems. Your education is project. You've got some education in project management as well. That was part of correct. Yeah, but I'm going to go even. I want to go back. Okay, so we've come full. You know, we've come forward, and and we're going to talk more about Western Wealth Capital and and some of the things that you've achieved. Mm -hmm. But I want to go back when you're 23 years old, and all of a sudden, you know, you say, okay, I want to. I, I want to buy this house, and all of a sudden, you see an, a, an opportunity open up in the world of real estate. What were you doing when you were 23 years old? Like, where, what were you? What, what was your job then? Where were you working? Were you still going to school? Uh, I was. I was working uh, at the time at Telus. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a field manager out in the field uh, with the installation and repair technicians. I was a manager of a, a group in the Vancouver area that you know would come up to your house and knock on the door and install your phone or you know fix a downline. And the entire time through, um, even until I bought my first three apartment buildings, I moved from TELUS, then I went on to BC Hydro, and from there to LEDCOR. Um, I was working full-time. I did a lot of Saturdays and evenings. All this real estate happened above and beyond my my day-to-day job. People always ask me, you know, Janet, like, you know, how did you do it all? I go, I worked a lot. Mm -hmm. It wasn't it was, you did your eight or 10 hours. I mean, I wasn't even in a normal eight hour job. You did that. And then you did this after. So, you know, because this is all, all, you know, for me, this particular interview and these, these shows are always about the education and the, and the, the nuggets that you can pass on. When you talk about you worked hard, do you, when you, you know, lo- lots of people work really hard. I mean, they really do. And they just don't, mm-hmm. it just doesn't translate into the kind of results that you're getting, you know? So when you think about working hard, did you happen to have a particular way of being or how you operated that 
you focused on things that only gave you results? Did you, do you remember at that time, what was different maybe about your, your mindset, Janet, that you reflect on and you go, well, here's how I do it. I'm, you know, I work hard, but I'm focused on certain things. Is there anything you can share? Do you think in that regard? I was very clear that I was going to do whatever it took to buy more. So what happened is, and I still use the same technique, and I'm not sure, Patrick, when it kind of came to be such an evident part. Maybe I was doing it subconsciously and it's very conscious. Whenever I'm doing something, I say, is this going to get me to, is this A step going to get me to B? Mm-hmm. And if it's not, I say no. And when I layered on kids is when it really hit home. When people say, hey, Janet, you think you got, you think we could go for coffee? And I go, if it doesn't fit in the, you know, and I'll go a bit more, maybe we'll go into sort of that personal balancing part. But if it is clearly not going to buy me another apartment building, and back then, if it clearly wasn't going to get me closer to another house, or clearly not get me a promotion in my work, or, you know, finish my day-to-day jobs, I didn't do it. So in in your clarity uh, around, you know, if it doesn't get me to be and, you know, how you make your choices and make your decisions where you and I, you, you know, I heard you say that you're, you know, you're a kind person and you really are. I see that in you. Do you were you pissing some people off along the way because they wanted more of your time and they thought that you were making choices you know, different than they would make and didn't include them? You know, I think that's a journey. I wouldn't say I ever did it right or well. I think I'm still a work in progress um, on that because you have that guilt feeling, right? It's like, it's the, the, the guilty part of they've asked, so you should. Um, and, and I'd have to say back then, I, I probably, I definitely said yes to things that, although I was trying to practice it, really, I didn't have the guts to say no. And, you know, when I've gotten more and more involved in this has been you know, I had two kids 16 months apart and then I was trying to start a business. And, and it was when I was absolutely crushed that I just didn't care about the other person because quite frankly, they didn't care so much about me. They're asking for my time and offering me nothing back when I have two kids crying and throwing up on me and I'm trying to run money. And at that moment I go, I'm sorry, I don't have time for coffee or, or no, I'm not here to help you. I I've got to survive. Right. And you don't have to say it mean, but it was actually in those times where literally I was kind of on my knees, sort of breaking that I actually didn't care. My guilt was gone. It was, there was no guilt. I just said, I can't do it. And you can say it kindly, but if you're clear on what that end goal is, you're not being mean. You're serving your family. You're serving yourself. You're serving your goals. You're serving your friends. And those are clearly my priorities. And when I, as I've grown and evolved with that, I'm more and more committed to that every single year that the guilt has gone away because I need to be awesome for those friends. And that's what matters. You know, coach once asked me years ago, you know, in my own evolution and development, he said, are you, you know, part of what happens as we grow in business and as we grow as people there's change. And sometimes that change doesn't work for those around you anymore because they maybe are remaining the same or their journey is slightly different. And so he had invited me to, uh, you know, to contemplate the question, are you willing to be misunderstood in the context of your life? 
you know, in other words, are you willing to take a stand for what works for you and, and be prepared to be misunderstood for, you know, for those around you, family, friends, et cetera. And it sounds like that's part of what you got really clear on, especially once you had a couple of children that, gosh, my, there's nothing more important than my family. And in the context of my life, that's what's got to work for me. A hundred percent. 100. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, you know, you said, did you ever piss people off? Sure. Um, have people ever pissed me off? Yeah. But when I look back, do I, I always say, if I look back, am I going to regret this? And that's a big commitment I have. I don't want to sit here a year from now and go, gosh, I can't believe I spent that much time doing that. It didn't get me where I want to go. And I've committed to that. And what I found is if I, and I don't have too many things I really commit to, uh, I could count them on one hand, but if somebody gets upset, I'm happy to reiterate or try to clarify why I'm going this way or doing that, but that's in, that's theirs. That's not mine. Well, it's interesting, you know, around all of this is there's a level of clarity that I've come to see in you and, in, in the, you know, and, and we've, we don't know, I mean, we know each other, but we don't know each other well. I mean, we certainly are great acquaintances and we've had some uh, opportunity to spend some time having some conversation around, you know, life and, you know, some of your background, et cetera. Do you think that you, in your observation of where you are and what you've achieved and the clarity that you have, is it because you were so focused on an outcome? So, once again, I know that you kept saying, does A meet B? And, and that was about the deal. But what were you, were you operating on top of something bigger? So in other words, you know, we talk about the why. Real estate is one thing and it generates money and you've made a ton of dough. Now, the question is, was, was what driving you was bigger than the money or was it really for you just about making a lot of money and then seeing what showed up next? Where, where was that for you? Because I often talk and coach people all the time and I go, well, why are you doing this? Well, I just want to make money. And what do you want to do with the money? Well, I, I just want to create life, but there, there's no clarity. Did you have some clarity bigger than that, Janet, do you think? You know, it's funny if I go back into my childhood and it, it took, you know, getting older and doing a couple of therapy sessions to really get clear on that. But, um, my mom had a master's degree, fully educated. There's four girls that grew up in house. Um, my dad worked. My mom stayed home and raised us. And my mom was an, you know, my mom was one of those moms fully fulfilled, really raising us. She did an amazing, you know, an amazing job. But in my mind, which is funny because I've had conversations with my sister, same upbringing, where she wanted to grow up and loved how my mom stayed home with us. That's what she got. She saw how happy my mom was. What I saw was trapped. And it's, it's, a, it's just, it's, you know, you go nature versus nurture. This is nature and how I was upbringing. I wanted my own independence. And for me, that meant my own money. Now, that could be made through corporate, you know, corporate work or, or whatever that was. But it was important to me that I had my own thing. Because when I looked at her as a mom, there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I thought what she had was being a mom and I wanted to be a mom and have some, something else. And it's, um, it was, it's, it was a big driver. What happened was I had a great, wildly successful career in, um, the corporate world, always the youngest at my level, you know, fastest coming up of that. That was a drive to, I think I always, thrived on the challenge of putting a puzzle together. I often found myself in jobs where there was puzzles. And when the real estate happened, 
the puzzle of a real estate just sparked my passion. It wasn't that I woke up one day and thought, oh, I'm going to have a real estate investment corporation, um, you know, a half billion dollar company. That wasn't what I woke up thinking was going to happen. But it, it came from my passion because I'm, I'm addicted to the puzzle. And that, that evolved. I finally found the perfect mesh of, of who I am. But it really rooted back to something I think nurture, not nat- you know, nature wise. I just woke up and I, I wanted my own thing from, from day one. You know, this is such an interesting conversation. I just had a conversation yesterday with a member, you know, around some coaching and some con- some uncertainty that he had around where, what direction he should go. And what I heard in your conversation, you you know, use the word passion, but it's, you know, it was although money evolved from that, it really was your passion for solving puzzles or or putting a puzzle together or maybe solving problems. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but ultimately you had a passion for taking on something complicated and figuring it out. And that translated into money through, you know, the vehicle of real estate, just based on what you, what lit you up. It, you, you could have probably had an entrepreneurial accident that, you know, I don't know, was manufacturing cars, you know, something bizarre like that, that would still, if you could take what you were gifted at or what lit you up in terms of problem solving or puzzle solving, would have ended up with the same results. Would, would that, does that make sense? hundred percent. You know, if I made a 10th of what I made, I would still be sitting here still doing the same thing I'm doing. Right. It wasn't, I wanted to have my own money. I wanted to have my own thing, but the money just happened to um, align. Uh, I would still be doing this at, at a tenth of a paycheck. It's interesting is that, you know, we see often, we use artists, at least for me, I see artists, we call them starving artists. And, they, and that could literally be, uh, you know, a painter or, a, you know, a sketch artist or whatever, or a musician or a singer. And ultimately, they're committed to what they're absolutely passionate about. And, you know, eventually they hope to be able to generate income doing what they absolutely love to do and what they're passionate about, but owning what they're good at. I think that you really got at a young age by the sounds of it that you're just really freaking good at solving problems and figuring out puzzles. Would that be the case for you? Like, when you were young, I remember having this conversation. I'm, it's a little bit loaded because I, I remember on our drive to Calgary, you and I having some conversation, which I, I was fascinated by, by the way. And, and I think that was what showed up for you, even when you were going to school when you were young. Yeah, my mom used to buy me these books and they were these matchstick books where basically you had a you know a set of matches or sticks and you had to kind of, they would give you a riddle and you would, or you would start with a box of them and you had to move, you could only remove three and it would have to come into a new shape. And I, you know, my other sisters might, one was addicted to Barbies, you know, and, and, and one loved baking and my other one was a gymnast and I did these Lego, I mean, for, for hours or these puzzles. So it, it came way back. I mean, I might be in kindergarten or grade one when I really started doing never-ending puzzles of any kind. So you, it was just part of who I was. So let's talk about that. You know, you know, you know, those younger years, you've got three sisters. So there's four girls in a family. I, I'm going by memory, but I recall your dad was a professional. Was he a dentist? Was something along that line? I don't recall. Dentist. For sure. Yeah. Yes. Your mom had her master's. Did your mom work? And it sounds like she didn't work outside of the home after your oldest sister was born. So you're for the firstborn of the family. Is that the case? 
No, I'm third in line. You're third, but you know, your mom quit working. So she had her master's. Right. Yeah. Correct. So, correct. So you're a middle child. So that means that you're special, um, for sure. <laughs> Did the, was there any entrepreneur? I guess your dad was a dentist. So, you know, what, what was the entrepreneurial spirit that was born in you? Or is it also born in the other kids in the family? You know, my dad wasn't just a dentist. He, uh, oh, he was, when he was, when I was young, about grade two, he actually lost one of his eyes and he couldn't practice anymore. And he went on, part of his disability insurance, he actually, if he went on and took a full-time job, it would actually stop the disability, which was much more than, say, the pay of a teacher or the pay of anything else. He went on, uh, got his teaching degree. At one point, he was a financial planner. Uh, he bought a Dairy Queen. He bought two apartment buildings. I mean, he was, I mean, even until the day he passed last year, he was always doing something. He up and at, at 65, he bought a uh, first time ever, bought a storage facility in, in Denver, in Colorado, and ran it for five years and, and made a massive profit off of it in the States, thousands of miles from his house. So my father, who, if you look at the four girls, I, I'm kind of a replication of him. He was definitely an entrepreneur, um, always doing something different, but always doing something. Now, how, what was the difference between, let's say, how your mom raised you versus your dad? You know, you, so you actually at some, you, you know, you, know you, you have a genetic predisposition for entrepreneurialism, given the story about your dad, which is really, that's awesome. Did he, did he raise the girls? Like, did he raise you guys in a certain way? Did you see that? Can you reflect on that and see how you were raised? Was he planting those seeds for you all the time? No, no, no. You know, I, I, I it wasn't. I wasn't until I had kids and my mom and I've had a few conversations about sort of what's that number one priority in your house. And, and she, you know, my mom laughed and said, you know, your dad and I didn't always agree on much, but we agreed that all of you girls were going, our number one thing in our house was fierce independence. Hmm. And, um, they didn't raise us differently, but they certainly fueled who we were. So I was a bit more, um, logical. I mean, you know, here's my mom buying one child a cooking book, one child Barbies and one child Lego. It was, it, they absolutely supported, we could be anything we want. And one ended up being a naturopath doctor. One's a lawyer and one's a um, counselor. And then there's myself. And, and it wasn't, there was no right way. They were very good at allowing us to be us. And they aligned on that. So that's really, that's an interesting thing. Are you finding that now as you, you know, when you look at, uh, cause your children, how old are they now? They're old enough to be doing some cool activities and stuff. So how old are your kids now? Four and six, four and a half and six. Right. So do you, do you find that you're, you know, you're raising your kids the same way? Are you bringing all that forward and going, no, I'm going to refine that. I can do better. How's your, how's your mindset around your kids? Cause I know you're, you're like, you know, most moms, you're, you're pretty lit up about your, your children and giving them a great life. <laughs> I'd like to hope, I'd like to hope so. You know, I, uh, they're very different. Wow. I can see how it doesn't matter if they're a girl or a boy, they are born as two different human beings and, um, independence. It's funny, particularly in my daughter more than anything, you know, I, I'm especially mindful of it to have, I want confident, you know, my parents choose the word independent and I've probably spent more time on the word confident. Um, confident and kind are what run in our house. 
respectful, kind, and confident are the things that matter to me. I want to know that at the end of the day, my child was kind to others, mindful of others, but confident in who they were, confident in the love that I have for them. And if I succeed in those two parts, for me, I'm, I'm clear that, that I've succeeded as a mom. You know, it's just interesting that, you know, first off, that you're even mindful of this particular conversation. So that's kind of cool. It's also a statement of, you know, character and, and who I see you and, and how, you know, I hear you when we do have the opportunity to talk. So that's kind of, that's awesome. Now you went to university, you came, you went through university. When you came, when you're going to university, were you starting to get a feel for, you know, that entrepreneurial side of you? Like, how did that evolve for you? No. It just was an accident. So you really were in an entrepreneurial accident? No, no. It's funny. I came out of, I, I got a degree in computer science and business and uh, right out of school. I mean, I was hired in my last um, semester to work at TELUS. And if you asked me about a year or so in, I, I met Darren Entwistle and I shook his hand and I said, one day I want to be you. I wanted to be the CEO of a massive company. So I've always wanted to be something, you know, uh, up there, whatever that was. I didn't, I didn't want to be small in my job ever. So, but I thought my path was going to be in the corporate world, to be honest. Um, the entrepreneur side or, or going out and working for myself, that never even came into my mind space for a number of years. Uh, and, and the only reason I really went out on my own was because I got so busy at it. And I was loving it. And I just couldn't keep up corporately and do this anymore. It was a breaking point. So I had to pick one or the other because it got too big. I probably, if it had stayed small, I, I don't think I would have stopped my push on the corporate world either. It's just when I woke up every day, I loved real estate more than I loved anything else. So I want to go, you know, it's interesting. So work with me on this one a little bit. When you talk about, you know, wanting to be a CEO and wanting to be, you know, a bigger deal. And for you, Janet, because I, I believe where you've just evolved to in your own awareness and how you've evolved over the years, do you think at the time that it was, I want to be a, a big deal because I want to be a contribution? Or do you think it was really, did you even have that in your mind at the time, or, or do you think it was just ego driven or pride driven? Because I know who you are now is I've talked to many of your investors and I've talked to many people that you've walked, you know, worked with, and it's not like we're talking about you, but when your name comes up, it always comes with a reputation for being, you know, a contribution, being caring. Those are, you know, those are all words that kind of follow you around. That's the wake that you leave. So I'm just wondering, was that did you have an awareness around that or is it just part of your upbringing and where you came to? Yeah. I, to be honest, I think I've evolved a lot. Who I, who I said I wanted to be, <laughs> if you ask me now, wouldn't be that same person. Right. Sure. Um, but back then, you know, if I, I'm not sure I was aware, you're, you're talking 22 years old. Sure. So I think at that time, what, what woke me up and I didn't really know how much it was, was the challenge. So every time I rose in a position, I was stimulated by the impossible. So I think that part of part of it probably was ego to be the CEO, to be that title. The other part was that every time I went up, I, I kind of was burdened or broken by this new level of mental challenge, mental stimulation. And maybe I wasn't deciphering it. What I've come to be very clear on is 
that what matters to me is that I am mentally stimulated and that I am so proud of what I'm doing. Those, those things matter first and foremost um, to me. And, and being proud means I have good employees, that I'm running good communities, um, that I'm home at night with my children because that all means proud. It's all together. It's not about title for me anymore or anything. Quite honestly, when you went back to that elevator pitch that you said, and I said, well, it depends on which elevator. If you went to my son's school, then I don't think many of the moms even know what I do because I just want to be a mom there. And I want to connect with them on six-year-old things. And if they ask me what I do, they all know I work. And I just say, oh, I just run a real estate investment company. I, I work for myself. And it's really great because I work four minutes from my son's school. And those are all honest, true answers. But that's it. Because in that part of my world, I want to be a six-year-old's mom. That's all come over time. I guarantee at 22, there was a lot of ego talking at, the, at that time that sort of gone away as I, as I personally evolved. Yeah, so I guess that back then, though, there's still a statement. You know, it's interesting as I'm listening to this, you know, it really is a, a case for you. You know, the mental challenge was also about who you had to become to actually be the next level of something. So in other words, the mental challenge was for you to up your game and be a bigger, smarter, more, you know, a bigger contribution, but it was really defining yourself and upping your own game and, and being, and being smarter, learning more, showing up differently to take it to the next level. That's what I'm hearing in that conversation. And that part hasn't gone away, Patrick. It's funny. I, we just last week, um, we bid on a hundred million dollar deal. And, you know, I reflected back because, you know, three years ago, I, I, I about couldn't breathe when I won a $10 million deal. And, I remember. And we didn't win. And I, <laughs> I remember there was, I, I don't remember what the deal was, how big it was, but it was, you know, it was, I think it was at the time it was your biggest deal. And I think that was about four years ago, three or four years ago. And you were bumping up against yeah. that ceiling. Of, Holy cow, it's like $14 million. And, you know, <laughs> a half a billion dollars later, you know, now we're, we're bidding on $100 million. You know, that's, that's pretty, well, uh, pretty impressive. Well, and, and my husband, I came home and I was really down. I, we didn't win. And he goes, like, you win, you win all the time. Who cares? And, and I said, no, you don't understand. It's not about money. I have never won a $100 million deal. And I have this big bottle of champagne sitting there the day that I do win. It's not about the money. I can win $40 million, $60 million deals all day long. I want to win a $100 million deal. And so that drive for that next challenge, for me, this is the challenge, right? That's that next level of challenge. It's not about money. And that has never changed in me. And I don't think it's different even when I play field hockey or I just started tennis. And of course, after my first practice, I'm already thinking about, gosh, what else I can do better? Because I just want to be better at it. Uh, I want to play harder at it. So that's in my DNA to, to, to not, I could just win 10 or $20 million deals all day long and have money more than enough and everything's fine. That wouldn't satisfy me because I wouldn't be stimulated or challenged. There's so many directions I could take this conversation because it's pretty <laughs> fascinating. It's it's really fun. And but let me let me kind of go off on a little bit of a rabbit hole. Tell me a little bit about your relationship and your husband. Because, you know, you've got a you know, you got a couple of kids, you're a busy lady. There's just no doubt about that. I mean, these things aren't 
you know, part-time. How do you balance, you know, what you've got going on business-wise and how does your husband support that? And, and how does it all fit in your, your world? So my husband um, runs his own consulting company and uh, he's incredibly passionate about it. And I think one of the things that really helps us drive is we both run our own companies. So they're not normal, you know, nine to five type roles. And when you have to travel, you have to travel. So we both understand that. And, and both of us have a huge amount of respect for the passion um, that we hold within our, when our, within our jobs and really want, like for me, I really want, I love when he comes home and I see him revved up about his work and, and that's vice versa. We are constantly, I mean, it's, it's very normal for us two or three times a week. Uh, you know, the kids will be playing or we put a show on and literally we open our laptops across from each other and we talk about schedules because we were committed not to traveling at the same time. It's important to us. It's, there's nothing right or wrong about it, but that's sort of a, an attempt of a family rule. In the last year, there was one time where I flew out in the morning and he was home by six that night. And that was the only time we crossed over. But we're constantly going, okay, so if you take him, I'll do this. Uh, we do have a nanny and, and we're, we're constantly talking back and forth. Um, we try to have a date once a month. We have young kids, but that's, it's important. And, and um, we really like to do the same things outside of work together. So if we're out on a date, it's, we both love to hike. We, we love drinks on patios um, with our friends. So that's quite easy. So I feel very fortunate as far as my relationship goes, but it's work, right? It's, if we don't talk, if we don't open our calendars and really talk about it, it's a flop of a week because it's like, Oh, well, ah, I, I can't pick, you know, Mateo up three times this week. I, you know, and, and that's when we struggle if we're not constantly in communication with each other about those things. It's, it's ongoing every day. So when you consider that, you know, I, I know Stephanie, my wife and I have, you know, my children, I'm a grandfather now. I don't even know if I told you that I've got I two do, grandchildren. I do. Yes, you do. And so, you know, I look at, you know, Stephanie and I and our busy schedules, because we both own businesses. And when we're sitting and having communication, it's often, you know, we will, we'll get traveling to the degree that, you know, Stephanie will say, well, if you drop the car off at valet, I'm flying in three hours later and I'll just pick it up at valet. <laughs> and, you know, that's sometimes how we're handing things off. So logistics are very busy and we wouldn't have it any other way. So we don't look at our businesses, you know, we just look at our life. Would you think, do you think that you've now kind of embraced that you're not looking at life work balance, you're just looking at life? and works a part of it. And so your job is how do you communicate with your husband, et cetera? I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I actually have that mantra. It's funny you say that with all of my staff. So I say life is everything, right? So it's messy. And you know, if your kid is acting up at school, well, you can't be present at school. You need to go and deal with it at school or you need to do that piece. It's, it's the whole gamut. It's from the moment you wake up, to the moment you go to bed. And I literally, no joke, I'll look at my calendar for the day. And if I, you know, this morning I had my first tennis lesson at 9am, right? Well, the rest of the day, I don't have any important meetings or meeting with a, somebody that needs to see me. So I'm wearing my workout clothes all day. It goes, it goes right to, from the moment I wake up to the end of the day. And, and every one of my staff gets to live the same way because if I'm living that way, they do too. It's, it's an ebb and flow. There is no end 
one doesn't end and the next starts. They are ongoing at all times throughout your life. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when I, uh, and I'm sure that you've had the many conversations and you hear the comments, well, you know, what's life work balance. And it's, a, I think for many, it's just a difficult concept to grasp that they aren't separate, that they are life. You know, life is just all of it. And we have to look at it and say, you know, are we creating the life that we want? And as I've listened to you talk about, you know, living your passion and it happens to be real estate, which you really love to do. And because you're good at solving puzzles, which is also, you know, solving problems and, and creating and building, and, you know, that also translates into deal making. And, and so it's really about a love of all of the things that you're doing and your focus on your children and your relationship and the communication. So that's a, those are really, I think, such important insights to gain, because I think if people were to look at Janet and say, holy cow, you know, here's this lady who's, you know, half a billion dollars and now looking at hundred million dollar deals and have, I think, what are you the second biggest landlord or second largest landlord in Phoenix? Is that what I heard or something along that line? Correct. Yeah. I mean, yep, I mean correct. it's Phoenix, Arizona. There's a few million people in Phoenix, Arizona, and you're one of the largest landlords, you know, in Phoenix. I mean, that's kind of cool too, right? In terms of accomplishments. Do you look at it that way? Um, you know, I, I didn't even know I was on the radar until this report came out and I saw my own name on it and I went, holy smokes, I didn't even, didn't even know because that wasn't what was driving it. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it wasn't even at the top of uh, my mind. But yeah, you know, you have that moment where your ego goes, holy smokes, and then you put your head back down because that's not why we're doing it. And, and you only get a moment of fulfillment off of that piece. Going back to, you know, you're talking about your work-life balance. What I found kind of really worked for me is I think of it in, in buckets. And I have this, I have this, uh, my children bucket. I have my family bucket, which includes, you know, my immediate family, my kids and my husband. And, and, and also our kind of our, our larger family, sort of a Janet bucket and a work bucket. And the Janet bucket might include fitness, and, you know, a drink with friends on a patio or a walk with a girlfriend. Um, but I look at, and I don't even go down to a week or a day, but in a month, I need to know that each one of those is full because every time I've crashed, it's when one of those pillow, whether you want to call it a stool has fallen short. And anytime those aren't full, even one's off, that stool doesn't stand. Something gives. And that's how I've always come and I'm constantly working on it, but that's how I've gotten to define balance for me. That's great. I love that, uh, that analogy. So let's go back a little bit, you know, um, was there a particular time, I, you know, what there, it seems that when you, you know, had the opportunity to flip that first property, there was a little bit of a fork in the road there. And as I talked to other individuals that, have achieved some success or doing what they're doing, there seems to be a fork in the road that they can, you know, or, or several perhaps that they can put their finger on. Are you able to look at and say, you know, that was a fork in the road. That was a decision that I could have, you know, I could have made a different decision and it would have taken me on a whole different path. And, and the fact that I made this decision took me on this path. Are you, are, is there something there that you can identify? Hmm. You know, I, I don't know that, 
I have this, I, this goes way back. I'm 22 or 23 and I'm at a conference and somebody had a picture of a mountain. And basically what she said is focus on getting to the top of the mountain. But at some point, you know, you start hiking up and all of a sudden you look to the left and there's this beautiful lake. Well, you didn't even know the lake was there. So you go onto the lake. Well, all of a sudden on the other side of the lake is a new mountain range. And you want to get to the top of that mountain. Well, you would have never even known that mountain existed had you not started climbing your first mountain. And I, I live by that because often I, I'd say, I'm going to go on this path. My path was I just wanted to make more money to buy a few more houses. That's all I wanted, a couple more rental houses. And I thought I'd be set forever. And so I went on this path. Well, I had to flip houses because I needed cash or I wouldn't have enough for a down payment. And I became a professional flipper, if you will. That flipping moved to, I had enough equity and suddenly I thought, gosh, if I could just do a whole lot more apartments at the same time than just one house, wouldn't that be easier? So even now, as we're growing in, a, in my own company at Western Wealth Capital, I, you know, the journey and just committing to something, but not, it's okay if suddenly something distracts you because I know I'm on a path forward. And I try not to stress about where the path's going to take me. A lot of people go, Jan, are you going to go public? Are you going to become a REIT? What are you going to do? And I go, at this point, I'm very clear that I'm growing mass because we're, we have a right model. Where that takes me, that will evolve. And I will wake up one day and it'll be very clear. At this moment, I'm clear. I just want size. Now, when you, when you, so obviously there's a, you know, I wouldn't, I don't want to say obviously. So it sounds like there's a number of forks on the road that you don't necessarily identify as forks, but you're staying really clear on the outcome that you want. Now, the numbers are getting big. The in, number of investors are getting larger. Is there a, you know, what do you, how do you handle the management of overwhelm? I'm sure that sometimes you look at it and, and, and I don't, I don't know. I shouldn't say I'm sure. Is there a time where you just go, holy cow, these numbers are getting like gargantuan. Does that, what is the overwhelm or is there a place where you get overwhelmed with all of the things and the responsibility that you carry? <laughs> um, I think at any given time I'm overwhelmed about something. Uh, what I found is, and again, I'm, I think it comes back to that computer science test in me, but I'm comfortable when there's a system because if there's a system, it doesn't matter if it's one or 10, we can do it because it's, it's lockstep. There's no question asked. So, uh, I think my biggest overwhelming point in my job here was probably a little over a year ago when, um, everything centralized around Janet, it was still. I was still very much in the middle. And I wouldn't say I'm out of it by any means, but I made a commitment then that I needed to be able to go away on a two-week vacation. Now, I have not achieved a full two-week vacation um, in, in one single hit, but it's on my wall and it will come in this next year. But my goal being that people don't need me for that period of time. And the only way they were going to not need me is I had to work myself out of a job. So if you say, Janet, what's your number one goal every day now that I go to work? To get out of my job. And the reason I need to get out of my job is because if we're going to grow, somebody has to do that part of what I was doing so I can go on to do the next piece. And it was very counterintuitive to go, well, if I don't have a job to do, what am I doing leading this company? On the flip side, it's actually one of the best leadership goals you can have. So I feel like in the last year, I've had a massive growth in that, in that shift. And with that, 
the overwhelmingness slowly starts to go away, Patrick, because somebody beside me is very capable of doing that portion and we're, we're able to scale. But I have spent a lot of time in the last year investing in my people and their ability to do it without me. And I know that that's the only way we're going to double or triple in size is, is when I'm not needed, because when I'm not needed, they can be powerful. So, you know, I, and I'm not kidding about this. I literally had this conversation with one of my general managers in a business that I have in Edmonton. Like I literally just had this conversation like an hour and a half ago with, uh, with him and, and a team of people actually. And the whole conversation was around, you know, as the leader of that team, who's replacing you, you know, there is always the inevitable, you know, the, the, I shouldn't say the inevitable, it's not inevitable. It's the question of what happens if, you know, what happens if you're injured? What happens if you're ill? You know, you put the, the team, you put other people at risk because you haven't actually replaced your yourself. And in order for him in this case to step into what's next for him, he has to he has to actually open up the space for him to go forward. But it's interesting what you say, because a lot of his identity is attached to what he does and who he is in that role. So I'm hearing a little bit of that in you is the struggle of so many business owners is, you know, if I'm not doing that, then what am I doing? And, and there's also a place where replacing yourself is also good risk mitigation just from a business point of view, right? Is having somebody that can say, you know, no problem. You can, oh, guess what? You can take two or three weeks for a vacation too, by the way, but should something different happen, then every, everything is covered as well. It was just interesting that you brought all, you actually verbatim almost had the same conversation I had with my manager this morning. So I just bring that up. <laughs> so that's great. And, and what are you learning along the way about yourself as you, you know, as we talk about that, because it is a bit of a push, you know, we talk about, you know, taking on more, being more and who you have to become. What are you learning about yourself as you are actually going through the process of, you know, duplicating yourself, if you will, or, you know, training other people to uh, step in behind you? Well, I'm loving it, quite honestly. And, and you know, um, that whole identity thing what happened was probably, you know, in that year ago, I always say people go, there's points where you break and I, they're not good, but actually they're great. And, and people say, oh, it's not good when you have a meltdown. Well, it's actually great because of the other side of the meltdown is growth because you won't go there again. So I, I look at when I, these walls that I'll hit at some point where I just can't hold up the world anymore by myself. And, and I literally surrender to that moment on the other side is, is a massive forward change because if I can't be present on the, the trip to Hawaii with my family and, and that's really what happened. And, and, you know, even just a quick weekend away and I, I couldn't do it. I just said, Whoa, this is, this is not worth, this is not worth it. I'm done. I'm out. It, I'm not doing this anymore. And uh, when you have those breaking points, your ego breaks too. And I don't need to be identified as anything um, with this company. You know, success is that it's being run by other people. That is great success. That that doesn't replace me. That allows me to be more powerful and and more forward looking. And and heck, maybe do a few more things that I like to do, like trying tennis. You know. That success, uh, having a longer lunch, 
that I never get to do. That's success. And so that came up for me. And what I've watched in my team is, as I've said, this is what I say. Okay, we're going to do this together. Now, I am never doing this with you again. I'm never replying to anything about this again. If you need me, you know how to find me and I will help you. But I used to kind of overstep and I'd reply because I'm faster or whatnot. I don't. And I, I'm, and I say to them, I'm not going to chase you. You know where my office is. You, you can text me. You can call me. But you lead this. I will not step in ever again. And it has been incredibly empowering for them and incredibly empowering for me. I literally will see this email and I know we need to reply. And when they're newer, I kind of mark it down to the side so that I make sure. And, you know, by the end of the week, if I haven't seen it kind of come back, I go and say, hey, what are you going to do about that? But it's not what I'm going to do. I actually say, so what are you going to do about that? And um, they go, I don't know. And I go, well, then why don't you come see me and let's figure it out together. But I, I'm not solving it. It's not mine to solve. It's not my job. I, I go back. You're you're really uh, on point of just what stuff that I'm going through with my own teams. And the realization, I think, and you seem to have come to it, you're pretty clear on it, obviously, that in order to grow, you managers and people, because once again, I look at this podcast and the educative component of what I'm trying to deliver on it. And this conversation is so interesting for me is because entrepreneurs, historically, one of their blocks is that it's easier to do themselves, you know, than it is to train somebody else. You're going through the discomfort of actually forcing yourself to step back from the doingness of it and actually empowering somebody on your team to take that off your plate and to learn how to do it. You're going through the training phase. It, would that be an accurate statement in terms of, and maybe even the discomfort that and, and patience you have to exercise to be able to do that? Oh, it's so hard. And, and I wouldn't say, you know, they call, you know, they say you fall on and, you know, you get on the wagon, you fall off the wagon. It's, it's so true because I mean, as an example, going back to that email, I could have answered that in 30 seconds. And I, and I know it needs, what I do is I mark it on the day that it really needs to be done. And I'm trying to allow that, say that individual to, to get to it when it, it's right for them. But, oh, it bugs me. And I know I almost all roles, not almost all roles in, in the company, you know, I, I know the best and I probably could do them the fastest, but that isn't powerful. That's not growth. That's not success. And so, um, it's hard, it's hard to sit back, but I, I'm so committed on that two week vacation, Patrick. And I mean, two weeks really where they really run it at the pace we're running without me. And that's so clear to me that I will do anything to get that. That is success in my mind. And, and I think every quarter or every period that might change. But my two things right now on my work front are that two weeks and that $100 million deal. And I am after those. And when I'm committed to those, you put the time in no matter how painful it is because you're going there. How do you... Now so a little bit off topic, but on the same topic, because as I'm listening to you and, you know, focus on all the conversation that you're having and the, and the journey that you're taking, how much of your, you know, your university education really was important or do you use in actually how you run your business today? Was your education back then, is it really important to you and is it really impactful today? You know what I've learned, um, What's interesting that I brought from the corporate world more than 
than university. University taught me to complete things. It taught me to work under pressure. It taught me to, you know, university was hard. And so it wasn't so much, did I learn a certain skill at a university, uh, a particular thing about say, can I, can I code? Can I actually do computer programming? Yeah. That, that skill hasn't taken me forward, but completing under pressure and committing to that. I think those are incredible skills and, and my children, I will advocate for them to, to get an education, not so much in what, but to complete in the corporate world. What I learned that I, you know, I had this conversation, um, with someone younger and, and they were, they really want to be an entrepreneur. And I said, and almost in, in an accountant kind of working for entrepreneurs and his own office. And I said, go work for a big firm because in a big firm, I learned so many facets. I learned how to do a PowerPoint deck. I learned how to run a big meeting. I, I learned kind of the pecking order of this world because a lot of my investors, quite frankly, come from there. And, and they're, they're used to a way of reporting. They're used to a way of communicating. And I learned those things and I brought them forward. And had I just been an entrepreneur from day one, I wouldn't have learned those things. My sister left law school and she went on to become, you know, the largest, she ran the largest homeless youth clinic in the, in the U.S., never went to a big firm, graduated top of her class, could have gone anywhere. And it's funny because she's, you know, at the time now she has children and she's doing that, that part of her life. But, you know, she, I had to help her with her first PowerPoint because she was incredible at what she knew and what she was doing. But some of the basics that she would have learned in a larger law firm, she didn't take because she didn't go there to work. So those are the skills that I've found incredibly valuable as I've moved forward. Presentation on how you, our company presents ourselves when we're bidding for a deal. Those things matter, especially when you're being led by a 36-year-old female in an average age of over 60 in a man's world. I, I have to show up that much more professional and I did get those skills there. So that was actually the next question I was going to ask you is, you know, you are female in a predominantly male world and on your journey and through all you've achieved, is there a specific strategy you had around that? I mean, you certainly had an awareness around it and, you know, you're, you're relatively young. I mean, you're a young lady and you're a lady in a male world. So how did, did you see some hurdles or did you bump up against some things because of that? And, and what, what were you doing to overcome that? You know, we, I get this question all the time on panels is like, you know, the glass ceiling and all that. And I, you know, my first comment would be the second you bring up, it's a woman, it's like, you're demeaning the woman. And, and, and I say that because when I hear other women go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a woman and I'm in this world. And I go, you've already just said you're less and you're not. What I'm aware of less so that I'm a woman is that I don't have 20 years on my resume. So if I have five, eight, I got to be that much better than you look that much more prepared because sometimes the other person sitting on the other side of that seat cares. Sometimes they don't, but I have to beat you. And it doesn't matter if you're a girl or a guy, I need to beat more than anything, your experience and say what I'm going to do. What I've been aware of as I've gone through it. And you could say maybe a woman more so age than anything was that I said what I was going to do because the only way I was going to win with my investors, with my, um, with, with buying deals, 
And I even, I, it was even in the corporate world being young was just do what you say you're going to do. And you have to follow through like rock solid. And, and that gets you there. I never wake up going, oh, I'm a woman, so I'm up against these guys. I actually am just a human. And I've never gone on that path. It's just not in me. I, I don't have, people probably say I'm a feminist. Um, I don't even think about it. I, I just I just know I need to show up so much better than anybody else at the table. And if I do that, I have a good chance of winning. Great. And that's just, you know, I think that's just a great mindset to have. And uh, so thanks for sharing that. I think it's really valuable to, you know, any females in in a male world. You know, my wife, Stephanie, was was that as well. And she had the same attitude. It was like, I don't have time to even pay attention to that conversation. You know, we got work to do. Let's get it done. And she approached it. Well, and, and, and stop saying things like, you know, and it's, I laugh because it's women that will say and they go, it's a man's world. And I go like, says who? Since when? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe what? Because there's more men around me. It becomes a man's world per who? Because as far as I can see, I'm I'm owning this space. So it's we do it, and and women do it just as 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 badly as as men by even saying that. Because you're putting power somewhere where I mean, defined by what? Understood. I 100. I think that's an amazing reflection and a view of the world. So thanks for that. Let me ask you about just your own kind of, I don't know what we would call it. You know, what do you have a morning routine? What is it, you know, or a day routine? How do you look after yourself? Is there, you know, we go through as I think most business owners, I'm, I'm sure it is that case with you where you're, there's times where you're just doing a great job of looking after yourself. And then there's times where you're just besieged with things to do and maybe you put your own you know health and wellness uh, you know park it off to the side do you have a morning routine after what is your routine for your own self-care or do you have one? Oh gosh oh gosh um it's a constant work in progress and i wish i could say i have a a rhythm every day um i say i try to have more of a rhythm every week i get up early i i like the mornings because um if i'm up at 5 30 uh, and, and one of my children, usually they don't get up till seven. That's an hour and a half where, um, I can work out. I, I either work out or I work often in the morning. So that's my time and no one's calling me, no one's bugging me. And I literally plan my next week, the week before. So I try to, my calendar gets blocked. I'm going to go to spin here. I'm going to, you know, um, try yoga here. I've got field hockey. So I really try um, to be active some weeks. I don't exercise at all not at all, just doesn't work out whatsoever with everything going on. My calendar starts being blocked at 5.30 in the morning and it goes all the way to nine at night because it's blocked for all sorts of things. It's not just work meetings. Um, It's blocked for personal. It's okay, I have my wedding anniversary on the weekend and I need an outfit. So I have to block an hour and a half because I have to shop for something. Though it's in my calendar or it doesn't get done. So I just find if I have a little bit of time before the chaos starts when my children get up that I can breathe, I'm I'm a better person for everybody and myself because I just had a moment I didn't just wake up to sheer chaos that I like. So, you know, speaking of chaos, you know, and we talk about chaos, but I, you know, it, it kind of, I want to get it a little bit more into your, you know, the mindset of 
Janet LePage. And that is that, you know, we all have days and of course in the world of real estate and business and kids and life, you know, when, when, when the yogurt hits the fan and things just kind of go off the rails, how do you take that on? You know, how do you take that on? What do you, what's your mindset around that? What's your self-talk around that kind of stuff when it happens? Um, you know, I, I, I say this, I say, you've got this, Jenny, you've got this. And I, and it's, I say it when I'm working out, you know, when you want to quit. Um, I say it when I'm hiding in the bathroom cause I need five minutes for my screaming kids. I, I say it when I walk into the office and we realize, you know, we've made a, a, a mistake or, or we've said, we'll do something and we're never going to get it out on time. And I go, I just talk and I go, you've got this, you've, gotten over bigger you've got this um sometimes the day leads me and i'd like to lead the day and what i've watched again if i look at that last year is more and more i lead my days um and part of how i lead my days is i block a lot of time that can't be booked because the day never goes according to plan so if i i have at least two hours of every day and now there's the odd day where it gets filled but I, that's time that's gone unplanned and because I'm going to be late for something or suddenly one of my employees needs something or I run to school because I forgot I was the volunteer for the cupcakes. And so what I found is that those chunks of time, they do get filled, but they allow me to control the other parts that are booked. Um, and that's helped me stay leading my day. And so if I start a week, I say, I'm going to lead this week. I'm leaving this week. This is my life. My life's not running me and I've got it. And, um, that's, that's my chant to myself. You've got this. Well, I guess that's in line with just who you show up as, or even previous conversation, which is you just take it on and it's all about going to the next level, which this is just, you know, if you're working out in the gym, this means, okay, I got to do one more rep or I got to do one more set. So you take it on that way. Uh, that's kind of how I hear that. Um, 100%. Now, you talk about, you know, sometimes you, you, your team makes a mistake or you've made a mistake. You know, I've, I've seen, you know, in my own life and in, you know, my own business where like things have really hit the fan and it's just gone totally off the rails, train wreck. And what I've learned is that some of the worst things that have ever happened to me have turned into opportunities. And actually I, I can, I reflect on it and go, Holy cow, as bad as that was good thing that happened. Is there, is there is any of that for you? Do you, can you, you know, what's, you know, maybe the question is, is what's the worst thing that you can think of right now that has happened, the biggest mistake you've made or the biggest catastrophe that actually turned out to be a bit of a blessing in disguise. Anything that shows up for you in that regard, Janet? <laughs> oh my God. Story of my life. Let me count um, the ways. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've built a company, you know, it's funny in the corporate world, you, you kind of have a mentor, like you start as a manager and then you're a director and there's this clear path and you can see people and then you can sit down for coffee and talk about what you, you know, you do to get to that next level. My gosh, I started in like a 200 square foot office myself paying $300 a month in rent that I was scared I wouldn't be able to pay, you know, to, to the end expansion of what we are. And I mean, every time. And what I've, my biggest thing is nobody failed. We failed. So when there's a mistake, it, I don't go and go, that was you, you know, we did, 
we all, we failed. So when it's a massive catastrophe and I, we could have a lot of campfires around my catastrophes, depending on how bad it is, depending on what time of day it is, we have a, every kind of liquor you could want. I, I think just last week, we, about one thirty, I had to pull out shots of tequila and we took one and then we said, okay, we got this. Tequila. Now so you're talking my language. Gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, and, and it's a culture in our office. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But, but before we correct, whether it's a stop and, um, you know, we, we, but it's a stop, it's not wrapped. Okay. Do we need a shot? Do we need to go play laser tag? Do we need to just not talk for 15 minutes and come back? But we don't, we don't react. And you, yes, you might've hit send on it, but we failed. Okay. And we're, we are getting back on track because we are one ship and we either sink or swim together. Um, but boy, I screw up all the time, all the time. I just, my mantra is it's not about whether or not you screwed up. It's how you correct it and how professionally and correctly you get it back on track. Because people don't remember the mistake. They remember the experience of the correction. And I've had to have some really humbling, honest, you know, we wired you, investor, the wrong amount of money. We put the wrong amount and I'm going to need it back because I've overpaid you. Mistake. The cell got mixed up. Oops. But it's, and, and does that call suck? Yeah. Did I take a shot before I did it? Absolutely. But it was a human error and um, it's how we resolve it and resolve it with, you know, chocolates and, or a personal knock on the door with the check. We make it good, really good as fast as we can. Do you find that in general, when you're going through those tough times, do you find that your team and you and your team are able to, and specifically you, I guess, as a CEO of Western Wealth Capital, you drive the attitude do you, do you think, or do you see yourself as having a pretty, I don't know, light, happy, or are you just intense? Like, how is it for you, Janet? No, they, I think, you know, if you ask my staff, for me, culture is number one. And it goes back to everybody's life is messy. We're all human. It's a, it's a continuum. And um, we, have a, we have a saying, and, and you can beep it out, but it's called BSU. And we blow shit up. That's what we do. We don't kind of do things. We do things awesome. We do things big. We are people that act with integrity. We are people that do the unthinkable. We are people that do it different. And that to me is more important than any achievement we have because when everybody's on that ship, that's who we are. And when the ball gets dropped, I don't look and go, you dropped that ball. I go, how many of us are going to help pick that ball up? We have a incredible culture um, that I'm most proud of out of anything because of that. And we have our ways that we, you know, like I said, our ways when we're stressed, we definitely, we laugh or we'll stand around and tell stories and, and, and share a glass of wine middle of the day. It's not weird. You can pop a beer in our office at three o'clock if you need to, but it's because we're, doing the unthinkable and it's hard. And I say to them, it's messy and it's hard because it's not normal. And the people that we bring on, I'm honest with them up front about that. And, and the folks thrive in that environment. They did, you're just on board to fight this fight, to do it different. 
and they, they love it. And, and I love being part of that. Do you, do you do the hiring? Do you do most of the hiring or are you part of the hiring process in a big way, Janet, or is that something that you have somebody else on your team do that? Where, where do you, what role do you play in that? So I used to, uh, do everything. I, there is no one that joins the company without meeting me. So I am the final gate and that's because of culture. I rarely ask questions anymore. You know, this, they could be three or four levels below me, if you will, you know, reporting to somebody, reporting to somebody, I'm passing them on the culture and where I gauge success. Cause one day I won't be able to do all of that. Um, you know, in the last three hires I've hired them. So to me, if, if the next person comes along and I can't do it, I'm okay because my team has passed three times. They're three for three as far as folks. So I look at that and go, I've succeeded in translating the culture that allows people to be successful here and the type of personality that, that works. So I don't, I don't, I have checked it at some point I will step back, but I'm, I'm fiercely, fiercely protective of my culture. You know, I think that there's probably nothing more important than culture and the environment. You know, you, you know, in, in terms of, you know, I know that you're talking about cracked beers and champagne and all the things that you do. And, and that's really, that's awesome by the way, because, but at the end of the day, what you're really talking about is creating an environment for that culture to succeed, for that culture to be alive. And, and you're making sure that your environment supports the culture that you're trying to build and, and, you know, taking it on as a team, as opposed to blaming is a, you know, I think is a pretty important part of that whole process. And, and I mean, let's face it, Janet, I mean, you don't do a half a billion dollars in deals and own 5,000 units and have the, you know, the reputation that, Western wealth has with their investors without really being pretty darn focused. And there's got to be some, I'm going to call it, would you call it like a, a fun intensity that you're, that the environment and the business and the culture that you have? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We have fun. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. You got to be, cause you know, the other thing is when I left the uh, corporate world, one thing I realized is, and I had been there eight years is, um, you know, this is your life. And, and, I, I, selfishly, I want to show up and enjoy the people I work with. Gosh, if I, my biggest failure would be I'd show up here and be around people I didn't want to be around and um, having to interact with them in a way I didn't want to. And that happened a few times when I was, you know, in the corporate world. And I, I don't, I don't want to have that. So I've got to keep that really close so that you know work's also fun. Otherwise, gosh, that's a huge chunk of your life that really is awful. Um, yeah, we share that in common. Not, not worth showing up to. Yeah, you know, and I, it's, I agree, you know, we share that in common. I mean, there's certainly opportunities where I could work from home and I have every reason in the world to work from home and, and it'd probably be, you know, quieter and all the rest of it. But, you know, I know for myself at the, you know, at the rain office, I just love my team. Like I got this, we have a pretty good time and yes, it's intense and yes, there's too many deadlines and yes, there's too much to do. It's all of the normal stuff in a business, but ultimately we have a team that we like to be around, you know, we're hanging out with people and we're, you know, that we like. And I think that's such an important part of, of what we're talking about here and even in this conversation. So tell me, 100%. what are you reading these days? Are you, are, are you a reader? I know that you're, you know, you're busy, but do you take some time to read? And if you are, what are you reading these days, if anything? 
Oh, I know this is such a funny question and I wish I, I had a smarter answer. Um, really, to be honest, Patrick, in the last six years, I've read a lot of James Patterson. <laughs> That's great. I, um, <laughs> Some good fiction. Nice. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love him. Um, I don't read a ton. I, I do read a lot of things like articles and that kind of thing. This whole, I have a business coach. Um, and I go on and off kind of phases. I spent sort of a year and a half intensely at once a week. And I, I'm now kind of trying something new for the next quarter. Uh, that was kind of a big part of my development. And that, that focus for that year and a half was exactly what we talked about. I needed to get straight with my home life, straight with work, straight with me running the day. Um, and I needed a person. There wasn't a book. I really needed that accountability to balance it out. And I feel like I needed more than a book. I really needed coaching, one-on-one coaching. And I, and I got a business coach and once a week I would check in and I, I needed to take on how to balance this growing company and, and removing myself from it and making sure I had time with my children and actually exercising and not eating what was just off the side of my desk. And so that was my focus. And it wasn't a book that was going to get me there. It was an accountability and really an active focus each and every week and, and bringing that through. And so I did that. And at this point, I'm, I'm clear sort of on that next quarter. But when I go to read, uh, usually late at night, um, and it's, it's, it's something mindless that I actually enjoy that I often fall asleep to. So reading for me at this point in my life um, is, is personal more than anything. It's interesting. So first off, James Patterson is one of my favorite authors, but I find that I'm, I, I'm, I have a tendency to read fiction when I'm on vacation. And when I'm not, I definitely gravitate to nonfiction. So any kind of professional development, uh, personal development, and, you know, and then of course I'm reading all the things that I read with what's going on economically and that. So I, I think there is a place where um, and coaching is an interesting conversation is, you know, this many years in the business, I've found that I've probably been with a business coach at some level more than I've been without. I think that as I talk to other successful people and then listening to your conversation or listening to your kind of where you're at in your life and business is that that coaching is an important component of it. And it, it only means that you're getting a perspective from somebody that you don't have. And I think a good coach, what they do is they just give a different perspective and give you, a, you know, food for thought about how to look at things maybe differently. Is that your experience as well? Or how does that coach work for you besides accountability? A hundred percent. It was a space where I could get called out. You know, when you're the boss all the time, um, you're not necessarily called out if you're, if you're, if you could do things better, you know, people really come sort of to you. And so it's a space where you can, someone can reflect on exactly what did that really sound like? Was that really the goal you were trying to achieve? Um, I was able to rehearse conversations with that person. It also forced me to have an hour and you say accountability, but one of the best things is it, it forced me that hour to completely focus on those goals. Because often again, when I was in that place where my calendar was running me versus me running my calendar, I never had time to get in front of it. So that was just a a phase of my growth. And what I found is I've had different coaches depending on different phases. 
what I read a lot, I find right now, you know, other than, you know, an actual novel is just the day to day. I feel like by the time I get home from work or I really work doesn't kind of go home. It just, the, the day ends just in trying to keep up with the massive growth of my company requires me to continually educate myself on economics, on, um, you know, the government, on taxes, on markets, on employment, all of that. I have to, I have to learn and read and constantly be up on. So it's not so much printed in a book as it is printed in articles that I have to read because I have to do that to keep up with the pace. If you're looking at, you know, you know, as you get to know people and of course you're talking to investors and you're dealing with your team, there's a couple of questions. So let me first ask this question. Do you have a, a vision five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 25 years down the road? Are you looking that far ahead, Janet, in terms of your vision and what you're working backwards from? Or because here you are, I mean, did you ever think that you would be, you know, the second largest landlord in Phoenix? And, and I'm not saying that that was a goal, but in terms of scope of your business and what you wanted to achieve and, and a half a billion dollars worth of deals and, and all of the things that you've got going on, was there, was there a place where you actually had a vision for, let's say, a billion dollar company or what was it for you? You know, it was funny when I bought my first apartment building, it was 23 units and I that might be the the day I felt the richest ever in my life. I thought, my gosh, 23 homes, you know, or, or apartments. And just, I was beside myself with the size. I thought I'll never have to do anything again. Like I just have to sort of pay this off and I've got it made. And probably after a couple more buildings, I remember saying, I'm going to get, I'm, I want, I want a thousand units. Well, somewhere probably about 700, a thousand just didn't seem right. I know I said I want 10,000 units and and I know I'm getting 10,000 and that's not even really a goal anymore because it's it's happening it's it's just more of a matter of time whether it's in 2 years or 4 years it's it's happening and probably when we hit 400 million I said we're going to be a billion dollar company there's no question I'm we're we're going after it it's a billion and let's try to get there sooner than later meaning the next 18 months become a billion dollars so when people say, where's your five year, what I found is I don't, I don't know exactly where five years takes me. I do know that that drive for challenge, it hasn't been satisfied yet. So what that looks like, I'm less concerned as long as I'm feeling fulfilled because the money part is okay. It's, it's good for you know, that that's been solved. I'm not worried that my kids won't go to university. I'm not worried about our house mortgage. What I'm worried about is that, or not worried, I guess, is that I'm doing the right things for our investors, you know, that I'm running a, a company with integrity and that what we choose to take on fulfills myself and my team. And whatever pace that looks like is, is how we're going to go. I don't want some overarching goal taking away from my time with my children or taking away from my time um, with other things that are important. So I want to see my goal, the way I look at a goal has shifted a bit. I, I know in the next quarter, I want a hundred million dollar deal, Patrick, that's happening. And so that's the next one on my hit list. And I know we're going to be a billion dollars. I mean, that's happening. So what do you think it is about Janet LePage, like when you look at others that are in this industry or, 
you know, what sets you apart? What is there a characteristic that you think that you have or that you see in other people that are successful? Is there something consistent with a characteristic of somebody who builds what you've built or achieved what you've achieved is, you know, I don't know if that's a clear enough question, but I'm just wondering if there's a characteristic that you see in others or in yourself that it takes to do what you're doing. You know, I had the opportunity to spend uh, four days in, in Paris um, with, uh, I think it was about 17 other women from one from different countries who'd won entrepreneur of the year for their country. And so really, really interesting, powerful group of, of women. And um, when I, when I looked at them, all of them, there was a, there was a set commitment. And I, I don't know if that's the word or a conviction, uh, but it's, I am, they were all so committed to what they were doing or what they were building um, or what they believed in. And, and that pushed them through every hurdle. I think you know, it's like when you're running a race or something, if, if you're not so committed to getting that in, in line, you'll stop at some point because it hurts. It's hard. You, you don't want to keep going. But when you're committed to crossing that line, you will finish. And that's in me. And when I set, and I never totally know what my next goal I'm going to set is, but when I set it, it will be hit. And that's a commitment and it's not going to be easy. And I am going to cry and I am going to be scared some days. And I am going to some days drink an entire bottle of wine because I, I'm stressed, but I'm committed to the end of that and it will happen. I don't know how, I don't know how hard, but it will finish. We will finish. We will get there. Do you think that people in general, you know, you've said it a couple of times and, and I use similar languages that, you know, life is messy. It just is, you know, there's entanglements and there's relationships <laughs> and there's misunderstandings. Do you think that there's a perception out there that, you know, as people look at some of the achievements, of course, they're only looking at Janet and what she's achieved and end result. She, they don't know what you and your team have had to go through to get there. But do you think there's a, some form of idealisms that people live in that they think it's going to be easier? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's in all facets of people's life. They always say the grass is always greener. I, I think the one thing that really bothers me when people say it, and, and I just smile because honestly, I have too many other things going on in my life to engage, but people say, you're so lucky. Oh, and gosh. I, I want to look at them and I go, oh my gosh, you have no idea. And and I don't engage. Um, I don't really talk about the success much unless it's like I'm in a you know, a presentation or I'm on a podcast like this. I, it's cause that's not what I'm about at all. I'm, that's not what revs me up. But when people say you're so lucky, I just look at them and go, you have no idea. Nothing about what's happened is luck. It has been focused, laser focused work. I mean, we could be doing deals all over the place in all sorts of different real estate. The reason we've gotten so big so fast is I only do one type of real estate, only one type of deal. It, it goes to the scalability. And that hasn't been without intense intent and focus and commitment. And when people from the outside go, oh, you know, you have it so easy. And I, I look at them and I go, I'm never off. You have no idea what it's like to never be off. Never off. You never get to hide. And that's okay. I choose it, but but don't call me lucky. 
<laughs> well, I think, yeah, and I, and I agree. And I think as business owners, we, you know, anybody who uses that term is, is, or makes that expression is, is really, it's a statement of where they're at and understanding and in, in business. So yeah, that's all I got to say about that. I, I really get that conversation. It's, it's tough. I think there is a place where sometimes people just think it should be easier or they picture it as being more idyllic than it is. And so nowhere to go on that particular comment, uh, conversation. So I just wanted to see your perspective of it and kind of what your experience around it was, Janet. When we talk about vision, you know, if you sit back and you, you know, you sit today, you know, youthful, uh, young mother, wife, family, what do you want to, you know, I, there's, there's always the question is what would you tell your 20 year old self? You know, and I think I like to rephrase the question and say, what would you want to tell your 65 year old self? When you look into the future, what do you want to tell your what do you what do you want to tell your sixty five year old self? I'll go with the back because I think it was something that came when you said you know where do you want to be in five years? Taking the time out of things and just said you'll get there. Stop saying when. Just focus on on the what and 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 don't put a time to it. And and I think I'd tell my twenty year old self that because my twenty year old self said I need to be A by A. I need to have B by B. I need to have a million dollars by C. And um, that's not necessary. Have goals and work towards those. And don't be lazy about it. Be like, oh, it's okay that it takes three years when it should take one. Well, that's not okay. I mean, you, you know, work with integrity and, and work hard. But enjoy the journey. Take time to be present in all these parts of your life because they they keep you fulfilled. Money will only take you so far and you can only spend so much of it, even when you try really hard. So I think my 65-year-old self would say, Jan, you could slow down a little bit more. Um, you could be present a little bit more. But man, you've come a long way in the last 18 months. So, you know, keep going that way as far as finding a more of an even keel. But that would probably be what I hope my 65 year old self would say. <laughs> well, I think that's good advice to give your 65 year old self. So, you know, as we, uh, as we start to wind down our conversation, you know, hence your calendar and my calendar and we got things to do. And I, I have to say that, you know, Janet, the first time I met you and the conversations I've had, I've always been just so impressed and fascinated with what you do and how you do it and how you show up. And, uh, so I want to say that up front. And as we wind down this particular discussion today, I'd like to have a little bit of fun and uh, do some rapid fire questions with my guests. So these are rapid fire. They're just meant to kind of off the top of your head and uh, give me some answers to these questions. You ready? Okay. Okay, here we go. What's your favorite swear word? Oh, fuck. Fuck. Gosh, that seems to be <laughs> a theme that we run through here. <laughs> What profession, other than what you're doing now, would you ever attempt? Or would you just never attempt another profession? But if you could, what would it be? I don't have one right now. I'm right where I am, unfortunately. Well, that's pretty fortunate, I think. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Damn, you, were, you lived that full. Nice. Nice. Love that. On a scale of 1 to 10... How weird are you, Janet? Oh, I'm so weird. I'm I'm way past 10. 
you, well, you do like, it's like everything you do. It's way bigger than anything. <laughs> I love being weird. I, I, I think it's so awesome. You embrace yeah, your weirdness. Weird. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> good for you. What are you just not very good at that? You can just own it. I'm awful at it. Uh, terrible writer. Hmm. Okay. Writer is in, uh, stories or copy or what? Copy, copy. You know, if I was writing um, any emails, like anything professional, reports. I mean, I literally, my mom had to write all my English essays. I just begged her to help me and literally help meant, mom, can you do it? Um, all through my English, you know, university. I, 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 I freeze when I have to write. Now, can I, I write non-professional thing? Perf- perfect. Anything formal, I freeze. I can speak, can't write. Room desk or your car what do you clean first oh my room your room you, you like should see my desk in my car they're they're horrendous i i literally park at valet just so my car gets cleaned <laughs> well played <laughs> what's your uh, what's your favorite tune what's your favorite song music oh you know try anything and it's by zootopia or it's uh it's on the theme song of zootopia favorite movie Top Gun. What are you grateful for? For the life I have. That I get to wake up and choose. That I have healthy and confident children. That my family is is healthy and safe and thriving. I, I feel incredibly fortunate for the life I have. I'm always grateful when I have the opportunity to speak with Janet. So, Janet, thank you so much for your time. So much uh, that you've shared or great lessons and insights into some wonderful success. You know, I look forward to speaking to you in the near future. Look forward to having you on the stage again and uh, best of luck in all that you're doing as you're doing it. And uh, thanks again for uh, being on the show today. Thanks Patrick. I appreciate the time. Take care. Thanks a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time... Patrick out.